says party chat people, April twenty eighth, hosts Stacy Zavi, Steve and Mikey. We're gonna we're gonna kick you out though. You're kicking me out? Yeah. We're kicking you out too. Oh, okay. All right. Hey everyone, welcome to the Party Chat People's Podcast. My name is Steve and I'm here joined by Mikey. Hi. And we're going to talk about some video game things. Specifically, Steve is going to talk about MLB The Show. You know, that game he's always talking about. Always. Ex-girlfriend, MLB The Show. Yes, yes, the ex-girlfriend, MLB The Show. And also Pokemon Go and Division 2, Long Division. Yes. And I'm going to talk about um, Badlands 2. Reigns, the Game of Thrones edition, and Overwatch, um, specifically the new event, Storm Rising. Uh, finally, we've got some news. Uh, Ubisoft is donating to the Notre Dame restoration. We want to talk about what's coming up with the next version of the PlayStation console. And finally, there is a VR game that was developed to detect Dementia before later symptoms appear. So we'll talk about that, too. Cool. Where do we want to start, Mikey? Well, Steve, I think we should start with your ex-girlfriend. My ex-girlfriend. Let's get it over with, shall we? Let's get it over with. So as everyone knows, I, Steve, mm-hmm. play uh, much MLB The Show. Uh, so, so, does, that. so does that savvy person, but... But he's not here today. He's, so. not, he's not here today. Yeah. So I, Steve, will be talking about MLB The Show. Mm-hmm. So MLB 19 came out. I picked it up, I think, the day after it dropped. And I've been enjoying my time with it. They have some pretty interesting changes here and there that I am enjoying. Um, in particular, I think that the they do some they do some interesting improvements to make role playing fun on uh, on Road to the Show, which is the mode where you choose a character. And you you play as that character originally in double A ball, uh, and then you know you try to work your way up to the major leagues, and you have a whole career just playing as that one player. So, um, in particular, they added a they added basically a social element to Road to the Show, where they are trying to incentivize you to become friends with your teammates and to become bitter rivals. With you know certain whatever whatever teams you kind of want to become bitter rivals with, mm-hmm. um, but they do some interesting things to tie it into the gameplay and the role playing experience, um, where you you know it, it already was very much an RPG in terms of the stat game mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of hiding behind the simulation, and now they're turning it into a bit more of a literal role playing game with the actual um, what do you call it. Uh, relationships that you kind of are building here between teammates. So a little bit of the nitty gritty, um, you typically in road to the show every so often I play as a starting pitcher. So so the flow is a little bit different. I'm sure if you play, uh, any other position really, um, catcher outfield. Yeah. Because I, as a pitcher, uh, I'm in a, I'm in a starting rotation, right? I'm a starting pitcher. So, uh, four games out of five, typically, I don't play at all, right? Right. Um, right? Which is unusual. Most of the time, you'd be at every game, 
if you were playing a different position, you'd be playing all of your at-bats. And then any plays that you are involved with, you know, if you're an outfielder, a fly ball here or there, a line drive or whatever, so on and so forth. Sure. As a pitcher, you're extremely involved and extremely important for the games that you play, but the others you're not. Which makes it super useful that you can fast forward through stuff that yeah. you don't want to deal with. Absolutely. What? So by default, you simulate anything that you're not actually involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you might be able to watch games that you're not involved in at all, but I don't know. They, if, if it is, if you can, then you're kind of hidden from that. But also the moment you get taken out of a game, mm-hmm. they make it pretty easy for you to jump into the menu and just simulate the rest of the game if you don't care anymore. Um, or you can watch it if you are interested in the game. Uh, minor anecdote, I actually don't like that whenever you're watching the game from the sidelines, you're actually watching on each pitch delivery like as if you were in a dugout. Um, if I'm no longer... like That kind of makes sense when you're playing someone who is currently watching your team bat or whatever, and, and maybe you're on deck and you're about to go bat, but when you're the starting pitcher and you've been taken out of the game... And you know you will not have any more involvement in the game at all. I kind of wish that it would switch to like a more broadcast style to give me the mm-hmm. just like like if I was watching a, a game on TV kind of thing. Right. So it's unfortunate yeah. there's no option for that. But um, that's just a wish list kind of thing. It's a nitpick kind of thing. Well, I will say this from the perspective of watching the game as opposed to playing the game, just kind of having it on the background. I'm really used to sports games being just the game itself only what's happening on the field and really nothing else to it from just little seconds in the locker room to the mascot running around to people picking up their soda to drink it in the audience to talking to the reporters. This is the first time I've really felt like, Oh yeah, this is almost immersive (laughs) for a baseball game. Yeah. Their target is to make this look like if you were, on your couch watching an actual MLB game. You can hear the uh, music they play on the And not only that, overhead. they go they go beyond that cuz in an actual MLB game you'd have um you'd have commercial breaks, you'd have all this other stuff. They actually show the kind of stuff that goes on in a stadium during a commercial break, you know, yeah. random people uh, playing uh oh, I forgot the official name of that game where D- Dizzy Bat, Dizzy Bat races. Um, and that's the kind of thing you especially see at minor league baseball parks. But that's something that they do whenever, like, you leave the game alone for a while. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like the idle screen, the way that, like, back in the day, Sonic would tap his foot if you, like, didn't move for a while. Yeah, right. <laughs> Instead here, it, like, switches to these really strange little uh, vignettes kind of kind of right. thing, which is kind of cute. It's but, yeah, their cute. presentation is ridiculous. It's really good. It's, it's, it's what AAA gets you. It's what that production mm-hmm. budget and, frankly, the exclusivity <laughs> gets yeah. them. Because yeah, sure. no one else is really allowed to make... Licensed MLB games on consoles, I believe, is the extent of the exclusivity deal. Um, But anyway, jumping back to Road to the Show. um, So in last year's uh, MLB 18, it was typical that uh, every so often, every, every X number of days, you have a chance to improve your stats by doing a bullpen session or hitting the, the training room, um, things like that, right? And they're really just working with menus in MLB 18 um, at where you'd see that you could work on long tossing, right? And that will increase your arm strength. 
Um, you can work on a particular pitch, and that'll increase the, the speed and the control, maybe, of that pitch in that session that you choose to do. And there's no real gameplay attached to it. It's just you choosing which part of your game to develop, maybe based on the fact that the last game that you played, uh, they hit two home runs off you. So you try to target your home runs per nine inning attribute, right? Mm-hmm. So um, now they added one more layer, which is that also every occasion, every once in a while, instead of working on your stats, you have these moments where you have to choose between uh, two things, uh, clubhouse and rivalry, which um, is either making friends or making rivals, right? Mm-hmm. And the way that works is that uh, when you choose clubhouse, you're basically choosing one of the um, one of your team members to have a workout session with or to have a conversation with them about some kind of uh, thing. And um, like so-and-so is not batting very well, right? And since so-and-so is not batting very well, you have a chance to re- to, to kind of console them or interact with them rather in, in one of four ways, which fits their, their role-playing archetypes. You're, you can either have a response which is indicative of the captain archetype. Uh, you could have... Yeah, a bit of a pep talk, maybe. Yeah. You have the heart and soul of the team, where it's not necessarily the captain who's leading the team, but he's like the guy who like keeps everyone's spirits up, it's like mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the maverick, who's kind of a smartass and right. might like try to you know light a firecracker on your ass with a snarky comment, maybe. And then you have the Better lightning pick up rod. Your stubble, man. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the lightning rod, who. Um, that personality, I can't say that I fully pinned down what that means, but, um, it has to do more with like being the one who gets things kind of started and going right. Mm-hmm. Roughly speaking, Captain Heart and Soul kind of fit into making friends with people and Maverick and Lightning Rod have more to do with like rivalries. Like this is, this is the Lightning Rod is like, this is an important moment in the game. I'm going to get shit started sort of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so each of those archetypes. By choosing those interactions during these sessions, you level them up, which allows you to equip perks that might actually have some substantial outcome on the game. So some of the perks as a pitcher for these various things might actually increase the strike zone, which can be pretty fundamental, pretty foundational stuff, right? And then each one of these perks has the the base level uh, thing which usually has language like this will slightly boost this attribute or slightly adjust this thing right but then there's the boosted version of each of these perks and that has a requirement and usually the requirement depending on whether it's a captain in heart and soul it's probably that you have to be either uh, friends or the highest level of relationship with people is bros oh, of course. <laughs> and and so you need x number of friends or bros in order to trigger the boosted version of each uh, perk that you might pick. And then for the lightning rod and the um, maverick, then you actually need to have a level of rivalry with the team that you are playing against. So they're actually all different, useful in different contexts. And you don't want to just role play the hell out of one thing to some extent, right? Like, mm-hmm. well, I'm already level three as captain. It's going to take a long time to level up to level four. And also, for each tier of perks, you can equip several things. So you actually want to, like, switch it up a little bit. You can switch your perk loadout every mm-hmm. 30 in-game days. 
So you actually might have a moment where you go, a really important series is going up, uh, is coming up against our division rivals. We really want to beat these guys. And we have a high rivalry against them, which naturally there's already all sorts of defaults in there. Like the Red Sox and the Yankees probably hate each other and have an immediate team rivalry score of like a billion. Right. So, so when you do these rival things, are you just selecting a player on the opposing team? Yes, actually. That interaction uh, is the ones that I've seen is like a, a player on the opposing team sends me like a text message to like heckle me wow. and like make fun of me before the game or whatever. Like maybe my team has been has lost the last batch of games and it's just like, oh, yeah, you guys are doing really shitty or something, right? I mean, yeah. obviously they don't swear because, you know, super family friendly. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, but then you have to choose, like, oh, do you choose the captain response which, where you're just basically like, a you know, a st- stoic captain and you're just like, don't worry, we would win or like something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, even during the rivalry interactions, you can still choose to level up heart and soul or captain, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a really interesting mix of these role-playing interactions that are written decently and actual mechanical uh, impact. That said, um, they're not throwing numbers around, um, so it's possible that the actual impact of these things is pretty freaking small, especially with a game where 90% of what's going on is really about you executing on the situation and the actual mechanics and controls and the, you know your pitch delivery. How much does the fact that I increase the strike zone really make a difference? Maybe not a lot, but you don't need it to affect it a ton in order for you to engage in a system in a meaningful way, which I like. It's better that than just lip service, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, here, choose from your responses, but none of them matter on a gameplay mat on a gameplay level right so that's a really cool thing that they added um another really noteworthy thing that they added to road to the show is dynamic challenges and this is a pretty smart little system where it'll detect important moments in a game and it will allow you to choose between several dynamic challenges or you can forego them even though there's no penalty to failing a dynamic challenge Um, And basically your reward is an extra boost to your attributes. So normally through Road to the Show, every single at-bat that I go through as a a pitcher uh, will boost my... if I do well at that on that at bat, it'll boost certain attributes. And then if they get a hit off me or something like that, I might lose a little bit of attributes. Far less than what you get when you do the training sessions. Mm -hmm. Uh, But still, these little bits which kind of incentivize you to... You know, be a little more careful. If you're really trying to develop your curveball, don't just throw it out there all the time. Try to make sure that you throw it out there in the right situation, right? Mm-hmm. To make sure you get that boost. But then these dynamic challenges add a multiplier to that if you succeed them. And so we're talking about situations like the most obvious or the most basic one is the very first inning of a game. And you don't get this every single time. You get this sometimes where it's it'll say dynamic challenge, get started right, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it'll say, and, and you can choose from strike out the side and maybe that'll give you a plus 50% attribute bonus, uh, bonus. And then it'll say strike out the side in 15 pitches or less. And then that's a hundred, that's a hundred percent bonus. And then maybe strike out the side in nine pitches or less is like a 200% bonus. Right. And does that bonus last the rest of the game or how does that work? No, it's for that. I think, I believe it's for that at bat or that result, right? Right. Okay. Of that thing. So 
it's pretty cool how how they kind of set that up, and then um, that that'll also come into other situations where like someone got on base. Okay, now your dynamic challenge is shut this down. Don't let them score for this inning, maybe right. And then one of my favorite things is occasionally you'll find yourself in like a real bad situation, and then a hitter will come up who is dangerous, and it'll actually present that to you as a boss challenge, which I find very cute, and yeah. and it does yeah. a good job of like. Really, kind of making had a it like. Boss challenge ooh, and it's a, your rival. Uh, well, not just yet, no, but <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a cool way to like um, through presentation. You're too busy and, being a captain. You don't have rivals. <laughs> well, the team has rivals, right? So, I you also develop rivalries with individual players to some extent, mm-hmm. um, which might, for example, um, it, when I'm when I'm specifically pitching against that player. Mm-hmm. I might have some kind of boost, right? Uh, but there are also team rivalries too, and those you have some effect over over time, probably. But some of that is just kind of baked in. Like I said, the Yankees and the Red Sox, sure, they hate each other. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the um, uh, where, where was I at? So, so dynamic challenges, yeah. So another uh, type of uh, with the, with the boss challenge when that comes around. They do a really good job through presentation and through these basic, you know, incentives of rewards and stuff, creating this moment of just like, okay, let me focus. And it really creates a nice uh, peaks and valleys of kind of experience where some innings, you're kind of on autopilot, you're just cruising through, you're kicking ass, and then, oh no, someone gets on base? Okay, ordinarily, that would be some level of let me focus, but now it's a dynamic challenge. Oh, Jesus, that again. (laughs) No one heard that. And then, uh, yeah, so that's, so that's another thing that they do with, with, uh, with Road to the Show that I thought was quite good uh, and, and I really enjoyed. Um, another quick note is um, they added a mode called March to October. I've played a little bit of it, and I really like the idea so far because as opposed to the epic scopes of franchise mode or even single season mode, mm-hmm. March to October instead uh, has this thing where you play through sometimes specific moments in a season and you'll sit, it'll automatically as part of the mode simulate handfuls of game at a time. Mm-hmm. But when you actually play a game and you have a good result, you will gain momentum and that might actually make the difference in you winning some of those simulated games. Similarly, if you perform poorly, then you might have negative momentum and that might fuck you over on some of those simulated games. And it creates this, uh, experience where you're really breezing through a season pretty quickly mm-hmm. and can probably finish it in a ridiculous fraction of the time if you as if you tried to manually play every game of a single season. Uh, I've played a little bit of it. I think it's pretty interesting, uh, and I expect I'll come around to it back back to it eventually. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's Steve's uh, girlfriend, right? Steve's Steve's, Steve's new ex girlfriend. How are we? I don't, I don't know. You I'm Steve. You wouldn't know, I don't, right? Steve, yeah. Steve doesn't even know what he, how he feels about his own ex-girlfriend. Apparently. <laughs> enough to keep coming back to her. So apparently. So, yeah. so, yeah, MLB The Show. I, 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 I am enjoying it. <laughs> okay. Glad you're liking it. How about this uh, Pokemon Go? What about Pokemon Go? We've spoken about the game before. So. <laughs> yeah, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about Pokemon Go again. And in particular... Um, I bought a thing. <laughs> you bought a thing. I bought a thing. Okay. Which is, I bought the Pokemon Go Plus. That's what they call it. Um, so this interesting little doodad 
is this fairly small uh, one-button Bluetooth device that you can connect to your phone and you can play uh, Pokemon Go much more passively by just using this one-button device. So uh, when it works well, what you're doing is you go out for a walk and you know, the way you might ordinarily say, oh, let me play some Pokemon Go, right? Um, but maybe you want to, you know, look at the trees and shit. <laughs> and and, and, and look at the environment, right? Yeah. Uh, but you still want to catch that's some Pokemon. You, that's where you put your phone up with the camera and the Pokemon are on top of the... Well, no, that's the AR. You, you can do that too if you want to. <laughs> it, it still seems like... But then you're not, you're not really looking at the tree trees when you... Yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. So... Uh, so if you if you actually wanted to to take in the environment around you, but you also wanted to, you know, be a little productive in your Pokemon hunting and catch some Pokemon and spin <laughs> some Pokestops, then Heaven this device not might be for you. Productive enough at your mobile gaming? Of course not. Don't you know that gaming is work? Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> but it's somewhat less work if you buy a fancy gadget. To add to it's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. I found I found this okay. one for I think it was fifteen bucks on eBay. Uh, I would okay. not have paid the I think it's thirty dollars or thirty or more that you get that you can buy it through the official site. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong on that, but um, it's 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 borderline fifteen dollars worth. And the main reason that I say that is because as I said before, that whole thing that I just described is the optimistic case. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have had much annoying technical difficulties with this thing. Uh, I'm playing on an Android phone, uh, so maybe it's nicer on iOS. But regardless, uh, my reality is that um, having to like repair or something like that, mm. the Pokemon Go Plus to the app every single time is a little weird and annoying. But... I sort of understand it because this is a low energy device. So if you're not actively connected to the app, it probably turns itself off on on some level. So anytime that you're uh, cold opening Pokemon Go, right, and you see that it has to load and whatnot, you actually have to hit the little poke button that gets added to your UI when you add a Pokemon Go Plus Mm -hmm. and pair it to your your game. So every time you reopen the game, you have to repair it again. Uh, you have to to tap the button on the screen and press the button on the little device. And when it works, it works, and it's decently fast. But uh, the key thing to note here is, like, that ga- you, you, the game needs to be alive, so to speak, in the background. Right. Um, I'm pretty curious how this works on iOS because I'm an iOS developer, so I have some knowledge about how the, um, how the APIs work uh, right. such that when you put your app into the background, iOS can be pretty restrictive about what it lets you do. Yeah, so it it's possible that this experience, yeah, it's possible this experience is, is actually worse in iOS. I don't know. But mm. um, in any case, on Android, uh, I immediately tried to do the most ridiculous thing, admittedly, which is <laughs> to pair the Pokemon Go Plus, do that whole thing, and then immediately switch to the Walking Dead R World the other right. mobile location game that I like, uh-huh. and play that while also playing Pokemon Go by using the Pokemon Go Plus to so spin Pokestops. Play multiple mobile games. Yes, I'm trying time. to be as efficient while as possible. Walking. 
while You're walking. You're just going to get run over someday is what Probably. you're telling me. Absolutely. Okay. All right. And so, um, and so the weird thing is the originally this did not work. It seems mm-hmm. to be inconsistent. At some point when I was first trying this, Android was like, I need memory. What do I kill? I'm going to kill Pokemon Go. And so the moment that happens, the game is done, and you don't have any kind of notification to, to let you know that, it, that it's dead or whatever. Dead or uh, you. What you do know is that the little notification in your notification center for Pokemon Go isn't there anymore, but mm. uh, it's not exactly proactive, right? So I don't recommend trying to do that because it'll probably kill your, uh, your, your session. Um, however, that said, I have had some times where I am playing The Walking Dead just fine. Uh, but it probably after a little while kills it. I want to say that like I was able to get away with that for like 10 or 15 minutes or something. Um, but anyway, that's my ridiculousness. Um, for more normal users, this once you have it paired correctly and it's, and it's fine, you're probably okay. But I also happen to have switched phones and... Uh, repairing a Pokemon Go Plus is not the most intuitive thing in the world. To reset its Bluetooth pairing, you have to hold the button down for five seconds until it flashes blue, let go, and then hold it down for another five seconds until it vibrates. It's a little weird. And then on top of that, I also had to restart my phone at some point. And this is what I'm getting at. It just feels finicky as fuck, right? Mm-hmm. So if you actually want to get this, you know, for your for your kid who is playing so much Pokemon Go that he doesn't see the trees and you think that this is your, like, solution... Either, like, be prepared to help the kid with the Bluetooth connectivity problems or don't get it. <laughs> because yeah. it's, you know, I'm a technical person and I was still frustrated. Um, That's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. That yeah. said, uh, I also want to speak slightly about this from a, from a kind of aspirational perspective. This is kind of cool because this was an effort, this was an intentional effort to allow people to play this game without... Um, to kind of encourage what they call heads-up gameplay, I think is their term. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would say as gameplay that's uh, more passive mm-hmm. and allows you to see your surroundings and actually take a walk and that kind of thing. And that's nice. I, that's just genuinely kind of nice. Um, but it's also uh, kind of efficient, actually. Like, if you do a good job of keeping the Pokemon Go app open on your phone and you actually do a lot of walking here and there, but you do it in such a way that you cannot have your primary focus be on your phone, right? right? Sure. You could actually grind a shitload of Pokemon (laughs) playing this game uh, using this device. So I think this is an interesting direction. I think that as their first go, ha ha ha, go, (laughs) their first Mm -hmm. go at such a device, it's not bad, but it is technically wonky. And we we might expect to see more of this kind of thing in the future, maybe new generations of it. Yeah. It's worth mentioning that the Pokemon Go, sorry, what did they call this? The Pokeball Plus, not the Pokemon Go Plus. There's, there's a device that you can actually use to play Pokemon Let's Go Eevee and Pikachu on Nintendo Switch. The entire control scheme uh, and, and, and UI of that game is actually designed to basically only require two buttons and a joystick. And there is a device that is shaped like a Pokeball called the Pokeball Plus, I think, or something like that, which has two buttons and a joystick. And that can actually double as a Pokemon Go Plus. So you can see how they're actually trying to bridge the world between these two things. I thought about actually picking up Let's Go Eevee, but 
I decided after playing the demo again that it's kind of mm-hmm. still too simple. But uh, maybe they'll do something like this, some sort of light integration when uh, Sword and Shield comes out later this year. Oh, so I want to see this on the Android watch, the iPhone watch, the Fitbit. I think... Um, I, uh, <laughs> I, I kind of feel like the future is not to make standalone devices and expect people to buy them. I think, honestly, my expectation is for us to have devices that don't require us to pull out our phone in the first place. Right. And then to build apps that work with those so that that can be always on. You don't have to worry about pairing things to make it function. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the of the um, the earbuds that they have for... Uh, well, I have the Android ones. And then there's the... Uh, the, the, those white, uh, what do they call them? The AirPods that they have mm-hmm. for iOS. I think those are technically using Bluetooth, but they're, they ha- they're way more integrated into the operating system in a rich way so that you just kind of open and forget um, sort of thing. And yeah, we might see... controls of stop, play, rewind, fast forward. That is enough. True. For some gaming... True, yeah. That makes me think about the Run Zombies game mm-hmm. where you actually go out for runs and the game pretends that zombies are chasing you and there's <laughs> some gamified <laughs> things around that and mm-hmm. maybe they could somehow tie media controls into gameplay controls in some future iteration of some game like that. Sure. That could be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Fun. Anyway, that's it for for the this this little update on Pokemon Go. It's an interesting device, the Go Plus. Uh, it has its pluses and minuses. I would not outwardly recommend it to anyone. Um, but if it fits your particular case and you think you can handle slightly wonky technical problems, have fun. Cool. All right. Now, I guess, you, do, you, do you want me to finish up with my batch? Sure. With some long division? <laughs> you might as well. All right. So mm-hmm. the last thing that I've been playing, I, Steve... <laughs> is uh, I've been playing some more Division 2. Um, co- contrary to what I've previously said on, on the podcast, uh, I, I only just reached the end game of, uh, of Division 2. I, I was lying on the last episode when I, when I accurately described the end game. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so I reached level 30, and when you reach level 30... Um, you now uh, switch over to being um, what matters now is your gear score. There's no more level ups to happen, um, which makes mostly sense. So um, it's a little it's a little interesting to reflect on what what leveling up even means in this game. Um, because really your power is determined by your gear and that's always true. And whereas for the first 30 levels of the game, they're more like these discrete steps where every time that you get the next level of gear, except towards the very, very end, you pretty much want to replace every single bit of gear that isn't at that level with the newest level, right? Mm -hmm. So now when you hit the end game, you pick up weapons at gear scores, Mm-hmm. And the range of gear score that you can pick up equipment is determined by your world tier, which I, Steve, have talked about last week, where now the structure of the game, since, uh, since I finished the story, is that um, you have to clear out a set of missions in order to increase the world tier. 
Um, but I actually want to explain the, the story setup a little bit because it's a bit of a disappointment uh, uh, in a way, the, the end of the story here. So, um, you know, the basically um, it feels as though the end of the narrative portion of the game ran out of money or something. Really? And what I mean by that is it feels kind of rushed, not particularly focused, and there's not really any fanfare going on here. So you don't feel like this is a DLC setup situation? This is just, it, it feels like they didn't finish what they set out to do? Not really. So, um, not, by my, not by my standards. So, so when you start the game, right, there's a good hook, which Savi has talked about before. Mm-hmm. And it gives you this sense that, you know, you're trying to rebuild the world and, and that feeling is really nice. Um, and what you actually are practically doing in a lot of these missions can get a little lost sometimes. But, uh, but generally what you're doing is helping people and rebuilding communities, right? Mm-hmm. And that feels good. Uh, towards the end, there's a few kind of choke points in the story that are kind of interesting. One is that you reboot the Shade Network, Right. And I would say that this was the first sign of like they're running out of money. Mm. And I didn't realize it at the time, but it was kind of a retrospective kind of thing. Right. There's this one mission that you have to do uh, where you where you get some bit of technology that you need in order to reboot the shade network, which to for people who have no idea what the fuck that means. Uh, shade is SHD. It stands for the Strategic Homeland Division, which is what the division is. And it's a communications network, the Shade Network, right? And it's been down probably from the events of the first division, which I, Steve, have played but don't remember. But uh, what do you call it? The um, when the when when Division Two starts up, that network is down. And by putting it back up, there's there is a cutscene where it's just like, oh, we're getting calls from division agents all around the country, and so on and so forth. Which a little bit of backstory that I did not know until I realized that I owned the Division One. Uh, on PC and actually went and watched the intro cutscene to it, mm-hmm. um, which the Division 2 does not do a good job of bringing you up to speed on. Um, the idea of the Division is actually that these are people who are living normal lives. And they basically just have this, you know, government issue smartwatch type thing with the iconic orange circle that they have. And that's how you arguably could have identified a Division agent. Um, but these were normal people with normal jobs. And when the division is activated in the event of some catastrophic event, which threatens the st- very stability of the U S government, then ordinary citizens all throughout the country who have probably some kind of military or paramilitary, some sort of related, uh, experience, experience mm-hmm. they are activated and it is their orders to literally get up, leave their lives completely behind and now they are part of the division and they take orders from the president and they are trying to maintain the stability of the U.S. government. So with that as a backdrop for Division 2, um, you know, here we are trying to rebuild D.C. You have the Hyenas faction, if you can call them that. They're basically loosely affiliated gangsters. You have the True Sons, who are ex-military, ex-JTF, the Joint Task Force people, uh, who arguably are traitors. You have the outcasts, who arguably we betrayed, as the U.S. government, because we backed them into a quarantine zone and then kind of left them there, left them there kind of. I forget the exact backstory, but mm-hmm. it's very clear that like we did wrong by them. And so they basically want revenge. 
Um, you have all these factions that you're trying to like work against, right? Or, or fight back against to kind of rebuild society. It's really nice. Every time you do some of these missions, you go back to a settlement and you see that now they have a game room, et cetera, et cetera. We've touched on this. So you have this moment where it's like, oh, we're rebuilding the shade network. This feels important, right? And the game does a little bit of making it feel important where you have to go back to the, uh, to the White House and you have to, um, you have to actually like press the button yourself to initiate the cutscene where you see like the map is like lighting up and we're getting communications from everywhere. Look, it's civilization and coming back. Kinda, yeah. Sort of. And and, yeah. and and people are celebrating. Like right. Manny Ortega, the guy who's running the the White House essentially, uh, he you know, he's there and he's like, Oh, we made it. And I think Kelso gives a little speech. Uh, and it feels like, oh, that's cool. And then the game just kind of awkwardly throws you back into the White House and you're there you are as your character again and nothing feels like it's exactly changed. And that's okay. So but it feels... Sense. That's how it would actually be, though. Probably. But, it feels, but it, it feels a little fact. bit like a weird little celebration. And then... Um, you have a few more missions that you need to do. You should at least get a speech of, well, this is only the beginning, but at least Maybe, I don't something know. has happened. They might have even said something like that. I don't know. Uh, it just it just feels a little bit haphazard mm. and, and stitched together. And it's yeah. been a while since a cutscene anyway. So as opposed to some other games where you get like some more steady stream of content in terms of the narration and stuff, it feels a little like flash in the pan. So yeah. so then I like you the have bigger finish where you have yeah for let sure us summarize all the great things that you did yeah at and, a point where and they would have needed to they would have needed to build more to earn it anyway that's actually part of what it feels like it feels like unearned fanfare like yeah. we rebuilt the shade network and if you just play the game and you're mostly just like trying to shoot the things and you don't like do your homework you don't pay you're attention to you're the like story at all. you're like what did I just do. Right. You know, yeah. even I was a little bit like, what did I just do? <laughs> so anyway, there's a few more missions after that where you're trying to clear out the hyenas and then you clear out the outcasts as well. I don't know if that was a true sons mission where you're kind of pushing them back significantly. But these missions do at least set up some kind of context where it's like we're really reclaiming this territory. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the very final mission, the right, the final mission is a true sons one. I remember now um, you're trying to get back uh, this briefcase that is important basically for some reason that I don't, if I ever found out, I don't remember. Literally all we know, I think, is that the president said it's important. Yeah. So it's, maybe this is set up for some DLC, like a season pass type thing. I don't know. But it's important. Let's go get it. And you have a final fight that's actually pretty interesting. It was the first time since I was playing through the most of the game in uh, story difficulty, which, well, that's what you have to do the first time around. But in particular, I was playing it solo. And mm -hmm. the game definitely scales the encounters to be, you know, are you with a group or are you playing by yourself? So I, didn't ha I never really had to deal with too much um, ridiculous complexity in terms of the different types of enemies mm -hmm. and what they could do. Uh, but the very final boss, even in single player, was someone who could revive other soldiers. Hmm. And he had a shitload of health. So it was Seems pretty bad. interesting because I kept kind of ignoring him for about five or ten minutes. And then I was like, oh, shit, he just keeps bringing everyone back. This is bad. Yeah, you can't. I was starting to run out of ammo. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, um, I need to actually put some pressure on this guy. I need to take him out while also trying to get these guys off my back. And it actually led to like a pretty decent like action conclusion mm -hmm. where I was like stand, he was on this platform where he had like the high ground and I was like standing over next to him. He had guys flanking me from both sides, but I put up like a turret and I also had like my shield and I was like fighting them genuinely from all sides before like putting the last, you know, uh, clip into him, killing him. And then it was like, 
mostly a, a sigh of relief that Breather finish off the rest of the guys who were around him. Mission complete. Put the briefcase on the hook to send it up in the helicopter. Uh, you know, yay, we yay, succeed. Whatever with the briefcase. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? But then something weird happens. And this is where they clearly either ran out of money or interest. I don't know. But mm. the setup for the end game is kind of interesting. And they just don't take advantage of what should be a pretty interesting context. In particular, the reason that, well, yeah. So all these capture, all these control points that you've captured on your, on your playthrough of the main campaign, all these settlements that you built up, mm-hmm. they are reclaimed and the settlements are cut off from you. You cannot fast travel to them. What? And what happened is that a group called Black Tusk rolled into town, which seems basically like a PMC, right? They rolled into town and they just took over everything. Well, well, you weren't looking? Somehow these guys... That's the thing. That's the thing. That's fine. You just put this communication network back up and somehow these dudes took over all the settlements in the area and you didn't notice. I don't imagine that those things are unrelated, but they don't really... like. And and here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you know that that's where you need to go the moment the campaign finishes in order to have your end game, I don't know. I can't imagine a nice, easy cutscene that just puts a bow on that and, and lets it go, right? Right, sure. That said, that needs they foreshadowing. Really, is what that needs. It needs foreshadowing, and have maybe you even, there's even maybe heard for of this group before maybe, then. I have not, and maybe there's Division One yeah. fans who know something more about these people than I than I do. I don't know, but as a Division Two player, I'm like. Oh my God! All these territories that I that I that I fought for, all these people that I fought for, were losing all of that ground. That feels like <gasps> genuinely feels yeah. like oh no, right? And that was good, except when I kind of reflected on it, I was like, that was kind of cheap. Like what the fuck? That was cheesy. Yeah, <laughs> like, that was that was I, easy. All you all you need is like one or two cutscenes or something, and you can make them skippable if, for for the people who don't give a shit mm. to to do a little bit of context setting and just be like we like just to set some context to just go. We don't know where these guys came from. We are well, ridiculously outgunned, so we all had to fall back to our respective settlements and to the right. White House and right. sacrifice all of these control points. Now let's fight back. Right. That That's makes all sense. you needed. Well, but it does. Practically and, and nothing. And for me as a writer, I want to introduce the name of this group earlier yeah. in a context that makes it clear yeah, there's nothing to be done about them. I like, don't think they did at all. Like there's this rumor of this group, but it's probably just a rumor. It's nothing. Right. You know? Or uh, this group has been completely disbanded and overrun, and now we don't need to worry about them anymore. Right. right. Or and now then, there's rumors uh, that the group isn't completely gone after all, but it's mm. in hiding somewhere. Yeah, and, and, and it's found. possible that I missed it, but I was someone who was playing through right. Division 2. And then to just have this name pop out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm someone yeah. who was playing Division 2 trying to it's actually learn as much as I could about this universe through some of the codec entries, through actually p- paying attention to some of the voiceover work and, mm-hmm. and, and all that environmental storytelling because I really enjoyed it. And it's possible that if you actually also played the Division One the way that I played the Division but Two, it all to connects together. Yes, game. that's the thing. It, yeah. with, the, with the with the possible exception of the freaking Marvel movies, like no piece of media, in my opinion, can get away with pulling out the pulling out the excuse of like, well, you should have seen all this other stuff. You should have played this hundred hour game previously, previously in order yeah. to get to this. Like, no, go fuck no, yourself. I don't, I don't so, worry. so yeah. you know. 
the good news though is that the end game is pretty fucking fun. Um, they they really don't stick the landing in getting there from mm-hmm. a from a narrative perspective. But nonetheless, I'm at a point where I'm like, oof, okay, I, it's time to reclaim stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the interesting thing is that they are really cranking up the difficulty here. And in particular, mm-hmm. while while I was playing on story difficulty, which is your only choice on, when you're playing through the main cam- main campaign, and while I was playing by myself. Um, it never threw the complex situations that I'm starting to see now where Black Tusk has these crazy little mobile tanks Mm. type enemies that are very powerful. They have pretty regularly have healers who will just revive enemies. So you need to target them first. So Mm -hmm. now it's like it's growing in complexity. It's starting to feel like you need to know what the fuck you're doing. So now there's a lot more strategy. Yes. And and the thing is... There's a bit of a ceiling to how much you can do as a single person. Mm-hmm. So it's really pushing you to do to, to start playing in groups. And that makes sense, it mm-hmm. being the end game. Um, but do you find that frustrating? Since you- no, because the matchmaking for random people is that good. And mm-hmm. generally, the people that you play with are fine. Um, and I'm enjoying that because it's starting to feel like a bit of a new game all over again. So in the end game, you still get missions and the locations... Uh, so, so the battle arenas, let's call them, are recycled from the missions that you've played before. But mm-hmm. there's a slight little bit of context where now you're fighting Black Tusk, and there's a little bit of different voiceover work by the guy mm-hmm. who, who voices Manny. Um, so it's you know enough that's different that it still feels like a continuation of the story. Even so you if you might know the map, but you don't know the enemies you're fighting per se. Right. The the configuration of that actual encounter is going to be different, even right. if the battle arena is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and also definitely your abilities are different because now right. you have your special which is either your 50 cal sniper rifle, your explosive crossbow bolts, or your multiple, you know, cylinder grenade launcher type thing, as well as the associated skill trees for those specializations. And so I can really see how this grows into um, a really interesting team game. Uh, mm-hmm. And I can definitely see how that, because also as part of the end game, you unlock dailies and weeklies mm-hmm. for your projects. Yep. Um, and like, this is probably going to be my... You know, I have an hour before I go to sleep and have to go back to work the next day. Let me get in a daily type thing. This is going to be that game probably for me for a little while. So I'm pretty excited for that, actually. I just wish they had stick the landing on the transition from the main story into the end game. So that's it for Long Division. (laughs) So time to go to Mikey's Mobile Minute. Mikey's Mobile Minute. Tell us more, Mikey. Uh, well, I wanted to start with Badlands 2, but before I even mention that, when I downloaded it, the first thing I see is an advertisement for uh, a different game called Badland Brawl, which I did download. Ooh, interesting. And because it, it sounds interesting, right? Um, just on a brief playthrough, it seemed like a combination of sort of a fighting game with sort of a turret defense game. So it's your thing versus another thing, okay. one-on-one against each other. But you're not a person, per se. You're a, a device with collected parts that can be targeted. Um, and I just found it, it... It's possible that this is just not my kind of game. So I would invite you to play it and try it and see if it's just me. But I played it for like 15 minutes and uninstalled it. That's how much I didn't like it. <laughs> So just as a heads up, yeah, it's tricky. Wanna... It seems like they're really pushing it, and I don't know why, because Badland 2 is really great, and I just 
Well, it's tricky when an IP jumps genres, right? Right, and you can see that it's still the same universe. It's the same art style. You can kind of get the same sense of this mix of mechanical and organic things that they have going on in this world. But it's completely otherwise unlike Badland, which is, uh, you know, just go download a couple of screenshots of it. It's this almost dystopian-like world, and you're playing... Uh, a guy that comes in one of two forms. Either a little black ball with a couple of tiny white eyes and wings, or a little black ball with tiny white eyes that has, like, sort of treads and rolls. So mm-hmm. it flies or it rolls. Mm-hmm. Um, and in both of these forms, you can pick up these little power-ups, these little um, glowing orbs that can do a lot of things. See, they can um, reduce gravity, so that you slow or jump more slowly, or you um, fall or jump more slowly. They have uh, speed up things so that you're suddenly rolling or flying a lot faster. They have one that makes you very bouncy. So um, you sort of become more like a rubber ball and a small bounce gets you a lot further. Uh, My favorite is the little cloning balls which the most simple version of it will take your one guy and turn him into two identical guys, right? And uh, eventually you get to, like, there's 50 of them that suddenly <laughs> appear on the screen, and, and very quickly you realize that you're using the same controls, which are very, very simple controls, right? You can either tap the right side of the screen or the left side of the screen. Right. Those are really all the things you can do, hmm. but for as simple as those controls are, they get a lot out of that. And it's, would you call it primarily a platformer? Kind of, yeah. Okay. It's basically, it's basically a side-scroller type game, but where I'm used to uh, very simple gravity, very simple, I have to jump at the exact right timing to get this, that, or the other thing to work... This game is a lot more, it, it has a range of possible solutions, right? Oh, okay. There's not only one jump path that will get you from point A to point B, and yet timing is very, there's very minimal amount of um, drift from one playthrough to the next that works, right? Drift? Um, often the timing is such that a successful playthrough, like yours might be two seconds longer than mine, but that's about it. Oh, okay. Right? We go through a two-minute level, and there's very little difference between us. Maybe there are a couple of places where we could stop and rest for a second. But overall, you've got things that are coming down to smash you, or um, platforms that are going up and down, and there's a very clear certain amount of timing. Badlands doesn't really work that way. Uh, it actually has an amusingly diverse number of ways to kill your cute little round ball. Uh, you can be... A, it's more chaotic. It is I more think, chaotic. You can be... typical platformer. ...smushed. You can be set on fire. You can have a needle pierce you. <laughs> uh, just simply stopping you in place is effectively killing you because the camera continues to scroll whether you do or not. And if your character leaves the camera view, you have lost the game. Effectively, it makes mm. you do it over. Okay. Is um, that explained at all? Nope, but you very quickly <laughs> figure it out. Okay. It doesn't take long. Yeah. Uh, so 
as somebody whose reflexes are not those of a young boy, <laughs> right? I typically find platform jumpy games frustrating, mm. honestly. And what that means in terms of Badland and now Badland 2 is my goal is to simply get through the game, right? Mm. They may give me 50 clones. If I get to the end with one of them, I'm happy with myself. <laughs> Whereas you might be trying to get 48 clones through or even all 50 to get the special... Do they do the, the typical, like, stars ranking system or something for the, for the levels based on how many clones you get through? It's not... It literally counts the number of okay, clones okay. that survive. Gotcha. Right? And there are definitely... Uh, particular things that are uh, special assignments that, that you can do. So, like, if I, if I just look at the main screen, there are 40 adventure levels with three missions per level, and it'll tell you how many clones you've managed to get through mm. all the levels. And then there's 20 bonus levels. Now, with the original Badlands... So if you want to be an Achievement Hunter type, type player, you can go for those numbers. You can absolutely go do that. And it lets you go back to each individual mission and play it over to right. try and get more achievements. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So with the original Badland, one, one of the things that was great about it is it gave people the ability to create their own levels, and some of those were very, very creative. Ooh. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah. So they're saying with Badlands, too, that they're going to do the same thing. They have not yet. Mm. There's still quite a lot of content to play through without that. Okay. Nice. And, and there are some cute uh, twists and changes compared to the old one. The first few levels you play will probably feel like, oh, this is like the first game. Only it looks a little different and, and plays a little funny. Mm. And I do find myself laughing out loud at the screen <laughs> when I, I kill my poor little guys in, <laughs> in hilarious, unexpected ways. It's almost like Lemmings sometimes. I, uh, it, it, remi is. it reminds me of Lemmings where it's like, whoops, sorry, guys, my Some, bad. Sometimes you actually have to sacrifice one of your guys yeah. in order to get the others through. Yeah. You know? I, I remember that from the first one. Yeah. So it it can be pretty funny. <laughs> and I like that about it. So it's a fun little game. I, I recommend picking it up, especially if you like the first one. You'll also like the second one, I'm sure. Mm, nice. um, so I also want to discuss uh, Reigns. Um, I've played the original. There's also a, a second game called Reigns Her Majesty, which basically just makes you a queen instead of a king. But there are a lot of implications for that. So they're drawing from like Queen Elizabeth or Queen Victoria. Right, right. Or I the characters her. like Joan of Arc. Yeah, I liked her Majesty a lot, actually. It was yeah. pretty funny. It was funny. It was it was very funny. Like they would they would have certain jokes that are poking fun at, like like can't you get married in Her Majesty? Yes. And like the person that you marry is just like an idiot that everyone pretends is ruling or some shit like that. And you're clearly still you're doing clearly all the still, work. Yeah, yes. Yeah. That is correct. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and that's part of why they have the concept of a, a consort or royal consort mm. is so that you can have a person who's your person, but is clearly not in charge of the country because that yeah. would be a dumb idea. Because that would be terrible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so Reigns Game of Thrones, uh, I read a little article about it. Uh, the original was made by just two people, a couple, right? By the time they've reached this Game of Thrones edition, now that's a six-person team, but it's still a mm. very, very small group of people. Yeah. And it's the same exact art style. It's the same sense of you're simply swiping left or right, depending on, um, you know, somebody will come and ask you to do something for them. And you're, yeah. And you're giving them one of two answers, which is often yes or no, but can get more complicated than that. Uh, and they've added some nice twists on this. Um, in the original, there is a curse that... You would, whenever you died, then the rain would 
start over again, effectively. Yeah, it was like some reincarnation type shit or something like that. Yeah. Because it was a curse. Right. Yeah. Correct. So in this version, we have the uh, prophecy, uh, the one who will come, and Melisandre, the Red Witch, is looking into her, uh, I guess looking into the fire in her case, and trying to figure out who it is that's supposed to fulfill the prophecy. And there are nine potential options for who that will be. So there's the obvious, it could be Daenerys Targaryen, right? Or there's significantly less obvious. Like Arya has the ability to be one of these people. How? Perhaps she is impersonating someone as a faceless one. And so it has some really fun in implications. Like if you are Arya and you are impersonating someone, perhaps Var- Varys will be smart enough to figure out who you actually are. And then you have the choice of trying to convince him to work with you or just kill him. Oh, shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, one night... This is, this is a perfect setup. It to, really is. Because it's cool because they... If you're talking about uh, Melisandre looking into the fire, we're actually going back to, like, what, season three or four or some shit like that? Like, mm-hmm. before... Presumably before St- Stannis It seems to pull from it. the entire series. But, yeah. Realistically. But, uh, and it really kind of... If you kinda, are not Daenerys, then she starts out in the north. Mm, okay. For example. Nice. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just, like, a really cute way to, to kind of have these what-if scenarios mm-hmm. and to have the game in canon but also be... But also seem like a you know a, a fans like like a freaking fan fiction almost right it, very much so like one of the options I found was Gendry who's oh, uh, Robert boy. Baratheon's bastard heir uh-huh. and nobody respects him clearly from the first screen you're like oh dear he's not going to have an easy time of it is he oh, damn. and he does not have oh no <laughs> poor guy is that is Gendry basically like playing on hard. Sort of, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's all relative, right? So even if you're um, playing on relative easy mode, the White Walkers are still coming. Mm. So around year twenty or so of your reign, you're going to run into problems because they're on their way. Okay. Regardless of who who you may be at yeah. that moment, so you're going to need um, money for defenses. You hopefully will have done some research, so you know how to kill them. You're going to need an army capable of fighting them. Damn. You better have allies. Hmm. There are a lot of problems. And all of this is still. So, d- hmm. so does keeping track of all of this still feel manageable with the Reigns interface? With the iconic little card and four icons, right? Right. Right. You know what? They're kind of getting away with it. And it's a heck of a lot more entertaining than the original game, which felt a little bit too much like random rolling the dice to Mm, me. Okay. Uh, At the time, it felt like I feel more like I'm gambling than strategizing. Yeah, I got that feeling after a little while with the original. And I didn't play enough of Her Majesty to really get a sense for whether they drastically improved it. Right. But, okay, that's interesting to hear. I would, I would hear. say they have with this one. So, yeah, okay. for example, you can go to Winterfell. Uh-huh. Right? Um, and along the way, you might run out of food or you might get very cold. And you okay. have to make decisions about whether to slow down your caravan, speed it up, whether to accept more people to travel with you who might then fight with you when you go north. 
And then depending on who you are, maybe you will g- be greeted warmly. If you're hmm. Jon Snow, yeah. then Sansa will be happy to see you. Okay. But if you're Daenerys and Jon's dead, she's pretty pissed <laughs> off and you're going to potentially go to war. Oh, boy. So, And once you're there, perhaps the White Walkers arrive, depending on when you went. Mm. So, yeah, there this are a lot cool. of challenges. And it's also brilliant because, you know, so much of what we just said, if you're not a fan of Game of Thrones... We were we were speaking Latin, <laughs> effectively, right? right. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because so much of what they're doing there is successfully leveraging the world building that has already happened. Yep. And they don't have to worry about, uh, they don't per se have to worry about instilling in you the sense of geography mm-hmm. that, you know, as, a, as fans we've gotten some of by just watching the show or reading the books or any auxiliary bits of information or YouTube shit or whatever Mm -hmm. that helps us get a sense for this world. They're keying into that immediately. And then the focus is on what are the interesting choices period. Right. Right. Yeah. That's really freaking cool. Yeah. And I just like want to give props up. The art actually looks like the characters Nice. and you can see how like the original game was kind of based on game of Thrones to start with. You can mm. feel that now mm. playing this version of the game that this mm. is this is how it should have originally been. Huh. So if you haven't played the first two, just ignore them entirely and download this one <laughs> if you like the show. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know anything about the show and would prefer not to be spoiled, then maybe don't do that. There's now a <laughs> Kings and Queens version of Reigns where you can get the two uh, original ones. Mm, like a bundle? Smushed together as a bundle, yeah. But, but not a new game, just... A Just bundle. the two, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I mean, they're, they're, they're fun games, and they're really good mobile games. You can, you know, open it up and, and, and play uh, play maybe one dynasty or whatever uh, on a train ride to work or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you have to unlock the different potential uh, heirs to the throne. Mm. You have to unlock some special scenarios. Yeah, uh, okay. So playing, hmm. there's some serious replayability. It's nice, fun. nice. Oh, okay. it, it almost also works as a sense of progression too, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, because like, that was one thing that um, would happen in the original Reigns and also to some degree in Her, Ma- Her Majesty where it would be like, what What are my objectives again? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and sometimes it's like, you know, go get, go find a thing in the forest. And, and it's like, all right, I want to do the thing in the forest, but like but you just have to survive a certain number of years to get to it. Right. And it, and it creates this irritating sense of progression to some degree. Cause you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do to actually unlock the thing. I just want right. to go do the thing. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know if this necessarily solves that tension, but this has a little bit of that. Like okay. right now, my objectives are to win a tavern brawl, <laughs> win a ba- battle against Dorne, which is another kingdom. Mm. And reveal who is hiding in the dungeon. Right. But but as opposed to the original how game... how do I get to the dungeon? Right. Somebody has to come up to me and... and say, do you want to go to the dungeon or something Or like something. That. Yeah. Right. We're going to throw you in the whereas, dungeon now. Or that'd, something. Be, that'd be funny. So, yeah. so uh, but whereas in the original game, I think that was the only sense of direction of progression. Here, mm-hmm. you have at least unlocking different characters and maybe some of those special scenarios you were alluding to. Right. So I've got a little uh, home screen, which will tell me that I have unlocked 594 cards. But this looks to be only about a third of them. Okay. Uh, I can see that I have 53 out of 64 characters that I have encountered. Uh, and that I have died in 11 out of 29 ways. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. So I have a lot of game left to go. 
Yeah, you got to die in every way possible. Apparently. That's the most important part. <laughs> Who knew? Cool. So, uh, so that's for Mikey's Mobile Minutes. It's been, been fun. Uh, I also <laughs> want to talk about Overwatch. Um, so their annual archives event uh, where they add a little bit more lore to the story of Overwatch and how it uh, came to be and how it was disbanded and why uh, many of them came back together to fight again. So the latest one is called Overwatch Storm Rising. And uh, the idea is you are tracking down a contact within the organization Talon. That's kind of a criminal organization that Overwatch is trying to keep in check. And uh, at the end, you do find contact information that will get you to a leader of Talon. And you get to see a little cutscene that tells you uh, what Talon did that might have caused things to go so horribly wrong in mm. the past. So you've known before that Talon was bad, but other than them just kind of being underhanded, you didn't know what was about it, bad about them exactly. Uh, this is the first time you kind of realize, oh, that's what Talon did. Uh, that was so upsetting. So hmm. um, that's nice. But the thing I actually liked most about it, and this is petty but true, is weather effects, which have not really been a thing before huh. in, in Overwatch. So existing maps but made new by some weather effects, maybe? Well, I would like to see that. What they've done instead uh, is make map? this standalone map which is designed to have a storm occur mm. during the adventure. Oh, okay. Right, storm is coming, now the storm is here, we can see what the storm is like and play through it, and then the storm is ending. Oh, uh, okay. You know, and that seems like nothing, but this is one of many times I've seen that one's immersion in video games can really change a lot with something as simple and stupid as weather effects. No, that's definitely true. To go on a, a very minor tangent, uh, in Division 2... When it is nighttime, mm -hmm. it is hard to see, period. Mm -hmm. And it actually... Except for the NPCs, they're fine. I don't know. They, <laughs> it might be hard for them to see you to some extent, too. Okay. I, I, I won't say that they feel like they have superpowers or anything when, when it's nighttime. Okay. You can still see them. It's just trying to line up the shot you want is tricky. Mm -hmm. And also, they might get the drop on you sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but you can get the drop on them pretty pretty easily sometimes, too, as long as they're dimension, they're their attention is diverted to someone else. Um, but anyway, uh, what's really crucial about nighttime is that it actually makes certain abilities important, particularly the pulse that actually reads enemy positions and tells them to you. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah, minor tangent. But yeah, weather is important. <laughs> um, back in the day, World of Warcraft had sunny zones and snowy zones and rainy zones. But uh, it really felt a lot better and a lot different when they were able to have sunny zones with rain or s snowy zones where it isn't just snow laying on the ground and you don't know how it got there, but it would actually start snowing and your visibility would change so that you had this Yeah, when it actually feels it like... Being an impediment to you. Yeah, when it actually feels like an environmental modifier as opposed to just the snow zone. Right. Or the snow level. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, Storm Rising takes place in a future version of Havana, and it makes mm. sense that there would be a tropical storm there that would make things difficult. And uh, I just, I like the way that went. The story itself is reasonably good. As with previous things, the difficulty level goes from almost nothing at all in normal mm -hmm. mode 
to really very daunting unless you have a group of players who are used to working with each other all the time. Yeah. On the last mode, good luck with Legendary if you're not playing with people you know. Right. Basically. Uh, and that's probably as it should be, I think. Nice. Yeah. Uh, random last thing about weather. <laughs> okay. In Pokemon Go. Oh, dear. When it is raining, water Pokemon have a boost to their attacks. And really? I say, and I'm talking about when it's raining in the real world. But does the Magic Carp have plus one flop? <laughs> Ma- Magic Carp, uh, <laughs> Magic Carp's flop attack is is a normal attack, so no, it would not get boosted oh, by, okay. by it I'm raining. disappointed, but yeah. I understand. And then similarly for sunny days and, and and stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting. That is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so last note on Overwatch while I'm thinking about it. Um, so Overwatch has had for a long time a kind of workshop mode on PC where you can create your own custom games. So you'll see a, an arcade mode on all versions of this game where um, maybe each time you die, you start up with a different character. That's, that's mm. one version of this. Or uh, they have one version where you have twice as much health, but your ultimate abilities come much more often. Uh which is kind of good practice if you're not used to avoiding ultimate abilities. Here's uh, your chance to learn yeah. how to do that more often. There's one version where instead of only being able to play one of each character type in your game, you can all be the same character if you prefer or, or in and a those are the And those are the like officially sanctioned, provided arcade modes? Right. And they're rotating so you don't get all of them at any given time. Uh. But um, the idea with the workshop is that you can take all these variant rules... And you can make your own game uh, using them. And some of the variant rules are, are pretty new. Like they added one where basically it's, it's the floor is lava. Don't touch the floor or you'll get caught on fire and it'll hurt and do damage over time. <laughs> so that's ridiculous. You can imagine the type of characters you have to play in order to survive that very well. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's cute. And if you want to create your own game with that, you can, and then you can invite your friends to it. And that's something PC players have been able to do for a long time. But that's right. harder to do on console just because your ability to navigate the menus to select the different things and, and make that function. Mm-hmm. It requires a lot more thought if you're going to do that with a controller. Yeah, you need a good design for that. You really do need a good UI design. So apparently they've cracked it. They've announced it's coming out on uh, Xbox and PlayStation. So, nice. Yeah. Cool. Just a matter of time before everybody can play in the crazy people's Floor is lava. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the floor will be lava on PS4 and Xbox coming soon. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so that's all the games we were going to talk about. We had a few short news items. Yes, yes, we did. Uh, speaking of, of things being on fire. Oh, my. <laughs> Sorry, I yeah. couldn't quite resist. No, I can't blame you. Yeah, it's so uh, one one general world bit of news that did occur in the last while is Notre Dame. The roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. We Aww. don't need the water. Let the, No, we need water. We need lots of water. We need a we lot did. of water. But yeah, unfortunately, uh, that building, or I don't know about how what the damage was per se. Actually, I'm not 100 percent sure. But uh, the news item that we have that's kind of interesting and it's just kind of worthy of a of a kind of golf clap here <laughs> is that uh, Ubisoft is actually pledging 500,000 to the restoration effort of the Notre Dame Cathedral. So hooray! Right, well, and more important to me. <laughs> 
They spent a lot of time making a version of the cathedral. Yes. In Unity. Mm-hmm. Um, Assassin's Creed Unity. And it's not 100% No, not the, not the game engine, faithful. I don't think. But, yeah. But, uh, um, but in Assassin's Creed? Yeah. In any yeah, case. It's the name of the game, not the, not the engine. Oh. I okay. can see how you got confused. I did get <laughs> But it's not the only digital version of the cathedral that exists. They've mm. been also trying to do, like, a 3D version to do online walkthroughs. Mm. So they're going to have to put together these things, but it's going to be useful both in terms of rebuilding, but also in terms of relocating everything that they saved. Apparently a lot of stuff was already moved out of the place because it was under renovation. Mm. So most of what is in there will survive in one form or another might Mm. need to be rehabilitated in some way. Right. But it seems like we are on track uh, partly because of tremendous number of donations Mm. Um, to rebuild this cathedral for however long that will take. Who knows? Yeah, I think they say here within the next five years that the restoration could be complete. Mm, yeah, I'm not buying it. <laughs> I mean, the thing took hundreds of years to build in the first place. Yeah, but that was back when we were like, you know, hitting women over the head and dragging them into caves. I don't think it was quite that long ago. Was it? Are you Although sure? I'm sure there are people still doing that today. Fire so. bad. No, yeah. it wasn't that long ago. I don't think so. Okay. I'm really bad at history. I, Steve, am very bad Original at history. Original construction began in 1163. Oh, okay. So medieval times and a little before. All right. Well, anything before iPhones, right? It's just you know. Clearly way before iPhones. <laughs> yes. Anything before iPhones was just prehistoric <laughs> times. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's cool to hear that uh, both, the, both the money donation as well as the fact that their digital recreation for the game Assassin's Creed Unity is actually going to be put to some use outside of, you know, just being able to shank people in it. Very important. Very important. Uh, So, you know, kudos to Ubisoft, aside from doing some pretty excellent long-term support to a lot of their games that people might originally shit on when they release. uh, They're now giving some long-term support to a building that I like to shit on because I don't care about European history. But a lot of people do. But it's and very pretty. It's, yeah, and it is very pretty. I will give them that. Yeah. But so so kudos to them for putting up that money and for helping out with the restoration effort. Good job, guys. Way to, way to do not evil. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Mm-hmm. You get a biscuit. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool. Speaking of getting a biscuit, I like to give a biscuit to Sony for the news posted in Wire Magazine about what to expect for the next PlayStation console, which they did not actually call PlayStation 5, per se. I yeah, think. well, and hopefully it'll get cool and name it something crazy. The P5 just doesn't really come across. No, well. Persona 5 already like kind of took that acronym, it the did. P5. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in any case, there were two things about it as a hardware person that were particularly exciting. One is they're actually including an honest-to-God uh, standalone sound card uh, capability, which is kind of a lost art. It used to be that computers generally had a sound card in yeah, addition to a that. video card. Mm-hmm. And then they decided that onboard sound was good enough, mm. which is totally true if you're doing stereo sound. Mm. If you are doing 7.1 surround sound, the seven speakers, and you're trying to be awesome about it, a sound card is probably still a nice thing to have, and we don't really do that anymore. Yeah. Um, by offering to put it in your console with your nice home theater system, it might be a little more obvious what's missing in the world. I hope so, because good sound deserves a comeback. Yeah, and in particular, they talked about how for, for 7.1 headphones, 
that uh, that that they were targeting that experience. I think to some extent, right? Um, and so we can expect some pretty stellar sound, hopefully, out of our consoles. So what I'd really like to see that is that also work with virtual reality gear. Mm. That would be nice, really yeah, nice and immersive. That's interesting. Um, the other thing that they're talking about, which is exciting, even though there are not as many details as I'd like, uh, is about putting a proper SSD or solid state drive into the thing. Were, were they cagey about calling it an SSD exactly? I feel like they were... That, again, you can see what the language Wired Magazine uses isn't right, necessarily right. the language that Sony is using. Yeah, Sony yeah, is yeah. being a little cagey. They clearly don't want to say where they are sourcing this thing from or give you specs on exactly what it is. Right. But that what they are saying is this is better than what you can get in a PC right now. Right. Which is like, really? Mm-hmm. And you pulled that off how exactly? Because <laughs> that's actually pretty interesting. But yeah. if you, uh, I mean, it's a very simple concept. Everybody knows that RAM is much faster than a traditional hard drive. Uh, because it's got no moving parts, it uh, plugs straight into the motherboard, effectively. And that is what an SSD, do- SSD does. It looks a lot like a piece of RAM. It plugs into a slot on the motherboard, and it doesn't have moving parts. Uh, which is why it tends to be smaller, also, than a traditional hard drive, but mm. much faster. So it's not quite as fast as RAM, but it's pretty darn speedy compared to a traditional hard drive. Uh, and this does mean that instead of trying to online everything game-wise, the next version of PlayStation will still allow you to have locally saved games that you can play directly from your console without necessarily having to be online. They also, on the game. they also gave some, some interesting examples of loading times being ridiculously cut short. Well, and this is where I also want to have a caveat on that. Mm. The way these SSDs typically work in the PC environment is if you have loaded an environment or action or a bit of memory before, the recall is very fast. But still, the first time you do it is slow. So if you're jumping from one level to another back and forth, if you've been to the previous level before, it'll be super zippy. But if you start up your game from fresh from scratch, the first time you go in will still be slow. Yeah, it's a similar concept <clears throat> to what will happen sometimes in, in when we're talking about RAM as the, as the place where we pull memory from. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just levels of locality. And nowadays, RAM will have like five. <laughs> There's like mm-hmm. the, the, you know, when you buy a 16 gig stick or whatever of RAM, um, you know, 16 gigs is like the maximum size. Uh, sometimes the price differences has to do with how, what are the size of the localities of memory where you have the L1 cache, the L2 cache, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all about what's, whatever's most recent goes into the thing that literally takes the shortest amount of time to bus back and forth mm-hmm. to and from the processor. Uh, so if we're now we're talking about doing similar levels, similar, similar techniques in SSDs on the actual hard drive, uh, then I can see how that, could lead to some pretty good gains. Um, so yeah, definitely grains of salt, but the, but what they were throwing out there as the example is that, um, Spider-Man running on a PlayStation 4 Pro has the, you know, typical trying to do something cheeky with their loading, loading times when you do fast travel. Mm -hmm. Um, they'll show Spidey on the subway, for example, (laughs) Which, which is, is adorable. which is adorable, yeah. uh, and they talked about how uh, on this new hardware, 
it's almost instant. But you again, go from one place to another, and it's like it brings up the loading screen, then it's done. Right, but probably because you'd been there before in that place. Maybe. They could have been cheating by jumping back and forth. Yeah. That's possible. That would be my guess. That's possible. Because uh, there is a mention of a guy who had literally stuck an SSD, like, attached to a PlayStation 4. Right. And his experience that was that things were a third faster, not yeah. like 10 to 15 times faster. Yeah, for sure. That is an unrealistic expectation for a single piece of hardware to do to your console. Maybe. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, we'll I see. think but I think that people it, underestimate how much one third faster gets you. Yeah, no, a third is nothing. There's nothing to shake at for sure. Yeah. But here's what I will say: um, gamers are hawks. When you release a video, that's at this point. If you release a video at E3, that's like for a game that's coming out in a year and it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. A lot of the gamer community's response is going to go bullshit we've been burned before we've seen watchdogs 2 we've mm-hmm. seen x you know this game that game the other game where the preview footage looks ridiculously better and then when you actually especially for open world games when you actually release the thing i mean people said this about anthem too i think when mm-hmm. you actually release the game you have to make concessions because you're no longer in a perfect little uh controlled environment for your demo you have to make some changes to make it actually work in an open world way right what I mean to say is, if Sony's smart, and I don't think they're dumb, they would not present things like this if the reality, when the console is released and games come out for it, is that nothing like this is happening. Right. That would so. be... And, and, and we're also talking about a console that we, that we expect to be backwards compatible. Right. So this exact example that they're using in this article mm-hmm. presumably we'll get to see ourselves what the right. truth of it is right. and if it falls short significantly we're not going to be happy with that now an improvement is an improvement we're not going to cry about an improvement well and the huge majority of purchasers will not have seen this that is true that is true frankly but this is written for the probably mostly for the hardcore gamers to get excited about sure so you know and I will say this. It would be after winning, after arguably winning this generation in terms of market share, mm-hmm. uh, it would be a bad foot to get started on to be bullshitting right. about what the improvements are going to be. Right. This is, this is their game to lose. Right? It is. But if they take a good quality video card with its own internal RAM, and they add a nice sound card so that they've offloaded a lot of that heavy lifting from video games, and then they put an SSD on what's left of the computing power, that is really a recipe for being able to sleep. compute very quickly. Yeah. And that allows you to add a lot of nice visual effects and sound effects. And in general, just to make higher frame rate, nicer looking games mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in glorious 4K, one would hope. Yeah, one would hope. That, that, is, some, that, that is the most tangible thing that, we, that I am, would be excited for the next PlayStation console for, or Xbox, whichever one I end up getting, because uh, MLB The Show, for example, um, you can try to run it as at its sharpest setting, visual setting, where sure. it tries to do it at checkerboarded 4K, um, but your frame rate's going to dip. And when you're talking about a game mm-hmm. where you're trying to read a fastball that's coming at you as a hitter um, in you know, maybe like a second and a half, right? Like, I need that to be 60 frames, kind of. Yeah. So, you know, being able to do 4K at 60 frames is already going to be an improvement. Mm-hmm. It, or, or frankly, it's going to 
bring them up to speed because I do believe for certain games the Xbox One X has no trouble doing that. Right. Um, and then all this other stuff. Yeah, like you said, their game to lose. So mm-hmm. you got to come with the thunder. <laughs> That's right. Uh, then we had one more news article about um, a VR game that is attempting to diagnose dementia. Um, so this is a German game um, that was created between uh, some corporations like Deutsche Telekom and several universities. And the game studio is called Glitchers. Not familiar with them, but we'll take it on faith. So the idea is Sea <laughs> uh, Hero Quest is something played by something like 3 million people so far. And it gives you a map of the ocean floor and uh, a number of objectives for you to try and pilot to in your little virtual boat. And right? it's a VR game, right? It's a v- virtual reality game, yes. You put the headset on. You've got the map, you can check it out, but then the map disappears and you have to try and find your way to the objectives without the advantage of having the map. So it's testing your uh, spatial memory and it's checking to see how efficiently you can pilot there um, based on your memory of the, the space. So apparently people who have the gene that makes them much more likely to develop Alzheimer's do significantly worse at this task. And they do it worse long before they experience memory loss that might take hours to diagnose um, by a medical professional. So that's exciting. Uh, whether they can actually get to the point where they can diagnose an individual person based on their score, I suspect that's going to take some more trial and error. And it also might be necessary to have people retake this test or redo this game every year or two and see if their score gets worse. Hmm. That's super interesting. I also wonder, it's, I, I, I imagine it, it might not be out of the question that playing this game and other games like it might also help maybe offset the condition or Yeah, well, one of the things little, is some of, some of the drugs, it's interesting. they don't prevent you from getting anything, but they slow down the progress hmm. of the disease. And if you slow it down starting before you have any noticeable symptoms, well, that makes a big, big difference. Mm-hmm. You know, that's adding years, not just years to your life potentially, but years to the really enjoyable part of your life. Mm. So that's about as worthy a goal for video games as, as I think we can hope for. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It's, uh, it it kind of reminds me of how there are games out there um, that actually help people deal with fears like phobias and, and, and traumas and stuff in VR. Um, but nothing quite so medical as this, you know, this is kind of, uh, close, but, but like, uh, kind of feels like a more academic frontier almost. I'm not sure, but it's pretty, it's pretty cool to, to see something that was a video game that was designed with such a specific research task in mind. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I want to see more of that. And, and also, um, I kind of want to see more of that in a way that is free to play and, and, and put in front of us, maybe even on phones and stuff too, right? Like sure. it's, it's awesome that it's VR. Don't get me wrong, but also it's going to be a while before VR is ubiquitous. So maybe this finds its way into your rich ass doctor's office. I don't know, but, sure. but, but also why not, why not have, similarly minded things 
mm-hmm. um, be be take a t- take a stab at it on mobile. Right? Why not? You know, as long as it's a three D game, it seems like you should be able to get most of the same data out of it. Maybe. Uh, it's it's hard to say. I can see how the VR ness of this is actually important and useful and and arguably crucial. In particular, the thing about VR that's that's super uh, interesting and useful here is that people operate in VR as though they are in the real world, which is really fantastic because, uh, one, it's super intuitive. I've put VR headsets on people who do not play video games, and they're like, how do I grab that thing? And it's like, they don't even ask. They just reach over and, oh, okay, it's that button. That makes sense. And they just figured that out on their own. No problems. Uh, And then when you talk about this kind of research task, you probably want to be measuring people doing things that are kind of like real life, mm-hmm. where they where their brain literally feels like they are doing this thing in real life. Yes. Um, so I could see how mobile would be a bit of a bastardization of such an attempt. Right. Yeah. Take grandma who doesn't understand <laughs> yeah. screen controls, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's just less useful information. Right. Right. But may, hey, maybe mm-hmm. in a generation, who knows? But nonetheless. Can't give anything but applause to this. This is pretty freaking cool. Yeah. yeah. Have to see more of it. Yep, yep. Yeah, this is like the most optimistic we've been about game development uh, <laughs> in a podcast. We're excited for the next PlayStation. We're excited for... Look how nice it all uh, is. For, what was it, Sea Heroes, Journeys? It yeah. was, uh, something yeah, like that. But we'll return <laughs> in like a week and be <laughs> and, much more... And we enjoyed all the like, games that we were when, playing, When Zavi and Stacey are back, I'm sure we'll get next. Yeah, game. when Zavi and Stacey are back, they're probably going to be <laughs> negative Nancys and just... And just ruin everything. Yeah, I think that's true. It'll You're tell right. Tell us how much developers suck. Yeah, it's true. That's fine. That's they'll bring fine. us. They'll it's bring us down. They're not here this week. It's a good thing they're not here this week. Yeah. And well, I think, Steve, that's been a great uh, yeah, party yeah. chat, people. I, I I agree, Mikey. I think that uh, your mobile <laughs> minute was fantastic, and Thanks. and uh, I look forward to to seeing what you what you what you're playing next week. And uh, but I think we'll skip your ex-girlfriend. We'll see if that's possible. <laughs> if it's possible for me to not talk about MLB the show, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Savi might though. Yeah, Savi hasn't talked about it. I mean, MLB he has every yet. right. <laughs> if he's got a thing with your ex-girlfriend, then that's between you two, really. <laughs> and that's where we're gonna leave today's episode, everyone. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and and Twitter, where we never post anything. I think that's all. Yep. <laughs> Peace. Peace out.